Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. 2 Samuel chapter 8. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Now after this, it came about that David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took control of the chief city from the hand of the Philistines. He defeated Moab and measured them with the line, making them lie down on the ground. And he measured two lines to put one to death and one full line to keep alive. And the Moabites became servants to David, bringing tribute. Then David defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rahab, king of Zobah, as he went to restore his rule at the river. David captured from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers, and David hamstrung the chariot horses, but reserved enough of them for 100 chariots. When the Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 Arameans. Then David put garrisons among the Arameans of Damascus, and the Arameans became servants to David, bringing tributes, and the Lord helped David wherever he went. David took the shields of gold which were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. From Batah and from Barathai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took a very large amount of bronze. Now when Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of of Hadadezer, Toy sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had been at war with Toy, and Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. King David also dedicated these to the Lord with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued, from Aram, from Moab, and the sons of Ammon, and the Philistines, and Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, son of Rahab, king of Zobah. So David made a name for himself when he returned from killing 18,000 Arameans in the Valley of Salt. He put garrisons in Edom. In all Edom, he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became servants to David. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army. And Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahlud, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests. And Sariah was secretary. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And David's sons were chief ministers. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again. Father, we pray as we look into this, your word, that you would illumine our minds, that you would give us nourishment, that you would strengthen us, Father, that we would learn from your word, that we would um, not be merely those who hear and turn away, but those who hear and do. And Father, we thank you for the example of David. And Father, we pray that we would learn from his example. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. So back in, we're back in 2 Samuel. We're following David, King David. David, we know at this point, is king of all the tribes. The, Israel has come together. And David reigns. And we've just gotten past the section, 2 Samuel 7, where God makes that eternal covenant with King David. That there would always be a descendant of David seated upon the throne. And of course we know that that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ who is now seated on the throne of King David. And now we get a list of his victories. He's been putting his kingdom in order, right? And now he's, uh, we get a list of his triumphs, of his victories over the enemies that uh, surround him. And um, let's think a little bit about this. David is the state, right? King David is the state. He's been set up by the consent of the people he governs, and he's been set there by God himself, right? So he is the king. He is the head of the state. And what, is, what, um, what power does Scripture give to the state or powers? What powers do, do our governing authorities have over us And how is that different from the power given to the church? Protection. Protection. They they are to protect us. Okay, where's your verse for that? (laughs) That's excellent. That's what my kids do is whisper answers to each other. When they shouldn't. Um, Protection is one thing. How else would we, um, how else do we describe the the authority God gives to the state? Sword of the state. What sort of sword does God give to the state? And has God given a sword to the church? No, we just get to bind and loose from the kingdom of heaven. But we do not have a sword in which to do that. Right? So it's a different power, as profound and as, um, as, as um, a, if not more intense in the church, the authority that God has given to the church. But in the, in the state, this, the, the sword has been given for what purpose? There are two, two New Testament passages that make this obvious and then a whole, a whole plethora of passages we could go to that show us this and intuit it. Romans 13, 1 through 7. And um, we should read that. Romans 13, 1 through 7 is one of them. And it says this about the authority of the state. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. So Christians ought to be the most submissive citizens in a well-run kingdom. Right? Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves for rulers are not a cause for, e- for fear, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to live, uh, do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, 
and you will have praise from the same, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And so, so clearly libertarians are wacko and unscriptural. You can't be a libertarian and a Christian. Because we, we can still pay taxes in good conscience. Um, <clears throat> so Romans 13, 1-7 says that the state has the sword, and the sword is used to punish those who do evil. Right? The, the state has the ability to throw in prison, to, um, to take your life, if you've taken lives, to punish you according to the, the weight of your um, crimes. Right? Where's the other passage? That makes this obvious. Yes, 1 Peter 2, starting at verse 13. It says there, Submit yourself, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as slaves of God. Right? So again, the same thing is said there, that, that um, the, the, the king sends governors who are the ones who dole out punishment of evil and praise of good. Those two different sides of this. Governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. Now David is the king. David is the head of state. David carries the sword of the state, right? And so we would expect that he, as the king of Israel, would be uh, doling out this um, protection, doling out this punishment, doling out praise for what is right and what is good. And I think we have to have that in mind as we go through a passage like this because there's a whole lot of bloodshed in it. There's a whole lot of bloodshed. There's a whole lot of deaths that come about by King David and we have a tendency to be um, upended and scandalized by such things. And yet, we expect it to a certain extent of our own rulers. Right? We want them to protect us. We want them to punish evildoers, punish, punish the ones who brought down the, the Twin Towers. Right? And we expect it of them, and indeed it is a righteous thing for them to do, and God has given them the authority to do that. So David is the king. He's the leader of the state of Israel. And we get a long list of all the enemies of Israel that he deals with here. And we could go back through the Scripture, and these would be the constant parties that keep coming up and afflicting Israel. And why is it that it's these parties? Well, because they're all around Israel. They're to the east, they're to the west, they're to the north, and they're to the south of Israel. 
And they like to provoke Israel. And so the first that's named here, back in 2 Samuel 8, are the Philistines. Right? They're defeated by David. He takes care of the Philistines, long an enemy of the Lord. And, then, and, and it just says he took control of the chief city from the hand of the Philistines. He subdued them. He defeated them. Done. Okay? Moab. Now, who are the descendants of Moab? Or who are the, the progenitors of, of Moab? Yeah, Lot and one of his daughters um, have a baby, right? Incest. And uh, Lot is drunk, made drunk by his daughter. And Moab is one of the children. And so the Moabites are the descendants of Lot and his daughter. And um, they never got along with Israel, right? We could go back to Numbers 25, and we would see, uh, let's see. Numbers 25, when Israel remained at Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. For they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel joined themselves to Baal of Peor, and the Lord was angry against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you slay his men who have joined themselves to Baal of Peor. Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought to his, his relatives a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the sons of Israel while they were weeping at the doorway of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose from the midst of the congregation, took a spear in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and pierced both of them through. The man of Israel and the woman through the bodies. So the plague of the sons of Israel was checked. Those who died by the plague were 24,000. So Israel plays the harlot with Moab, and the plague breaks out in their midst. The punishment of the Lord. And so, do you think David remembers this? Do you think these, these things are part of what the king should know? Um, perhaps. And, um, and so, uh, remember, this is... Um, this is shortly after uh, Balaam and Balak uh, do their work as well. All right, so that's Moab. Then, uh, and just one more reflection on Moab. So Moab, Moab had cost Israel much. And so what is King David to do? What is King David to do in the face of, of people who have afflicted Israel? Turn a blind eye or judge the wicked? Um, what's a good king who bears the sword to do? Um, so what does he do? He defeated Moab and measured them with the line, making them lie down on the ground. And he measured two lines to put to death and one full line to keep alive. And the Moabites became servants to David, bringing tribute. 
So what does he do? He takes two-thirds of the people, lines them up, and they're, they're killed. Takes one-third of the people, they are saved and become servants to the king. That's what he determines is justice in this case. Maybe. Maybe. Um, so that two-thirds and one-thirds um, is, the, is the direction here. Kyle, one of the, the commentators, said this was likely not all of the Moabites. It was the fighting men who had been captured, that they were the ones that were split and uh, either killed or, um, or put into servitude. And then we come to this guy named Hadadezer, king of Zobah. And um, we could go back to 1 Samuel 14, 47, and he's listed there, I believe, as a, um, an enemy of Saul. Now, when Saul had taken the kingdom over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the sons of Ammon, Edom, against the, the kings of Zobah and the Philistines, and wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment. And so, the, you know, David is fulfilling what, what Saul was unable to fulfill, we see that, and so uh, the king of Zobah is, is dealt with this too. The Arameans, who are the Arameans? Big, big enemy of the, uh, the Israelites? The Arameans, that's Syria, right? That's the, uh, the ones coming from the north. Um, David kills 22,000 of them, so clearly they're a strong army, and... Um, makes them servants, and they bring tribute to him. Right? And then we see in verse 6b, if we're thinking, wow, this is a lot of bloodshed, this is terrible stuff, why, why can't David just be a peaceable king and live at peace with those who want him to die and be crushed and be gone? It says in the second half of 6, and the Lord helped David wherever he went. The Lord helped David. Who wants the enemies of Israel destroyed? The Lord wants his enemies, his and our enemies destroyed, right? And so keep that in mind. That's repeated later in the passage. And the Lord was um, helped David wherever he went. And then we get this guy named Toy, king of Hamath. Um, he sees what's going on with Hadadezer, and he's been having wars with Hadadezer, and they've been going back and forth, and he sees that Hadadezer is crushed. And he's like, okay, I give up. Um, I'm with you. He brings gifts to King David. And um, notice what David does with those gifts in contrast to what Saul um, did with gifts. King David dedicated these to the Lord with the silver and gold that, had, um, that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued. Right? So he dedicated all that, all that wealth, all that he had gotten to the Lord. And so he had subdued Aram, Moab, sons of Ammon, Philistines, Amalek, Hadadezer. And in verse 13 we hear this. So David made a name for himself when he returned from killing 18,000 Aramans. And it seems strange... When we read this, so David made a name for himself, right? Is this, is this David just building up his stature and, 
and, uh, and know, but that, that's not in the Hebrew. If you notice, for himself is italicized in your NASB. And so it, it really here just says, and David made a name. David made a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Arameans. Again, in verse 14, we read that, that statement, and the Lord helped David wherever he went. The Lord helped David. Verse 15, so David reigned over all Israel, and David did what? He administered justice and righteousness for all his people. Right? He administered justice for his people. Is this not what we want of those who rule over us? For them to administer justice and righteousness for the people they govern over. Now what that meant is the enemies surrounding Israel from in all directions who were afflicting his people, who were plundering his people, who were dragging his people off, who were killing his people, to them he administered justice, right? He administered justice and gave to them what they had earned through their afflicting of Israel. And then administering righteousness. What do you think it means to administer righteousness? Is there any difference? Is that just a synonym there? Justice and righteousness? Is there any difference between those two? Okay. It's a good thought. Yeah, maybe the maybe the ethical system, right? What's right and what's wrong. Justice is to bring about punishment for right and wrong. Righteousness is to establish um, that as um, as a way of life, in a sense. And so David is doing this. He is. He is giving justice to those who um, deserve justice and have earned justice, and he is implementing righteousness as a blessing for all his people. And then 16 through 18, we, this seems right at this point, now that he is, he's brought peace over all of Israel, to name his, this is like his cabinet. We get a list of the names in his cabinet. Um, Joab, we've met before, and Joab is the commander of the army. Jehoshaphat is, is listed as the recorder, and that, that's much, much more of a, of a big role than it seems. It's not like he was, the, um, he was the, uh, the guy who took minutes at meetings, right? That's not what he's doing. Here's what he did. He kept a record of everything that took place around the king, he furnished him with an account of all that occurred in his kingdom. And he sort of placed his own approval on what, what, what the king commanded. Right? So the commands would come out through him. And, so, um, and then, then he, would, he would keep order, the special protocol for all of this. So essentially, this is a chief of staff. Right? This is somebody who is who is making sure that the, the king knows everything that's going on in his kingdom and is also helping the king execute his commands. 
right? The king will make the command. It's the chief of staff's job then to carry it out and make sure it, um, it, it goes to the right people. And then we learn about Zadok and Ahimelech. They are high priests, right? So priests over the, the temple or the coming temple over the tabernacle. Sariah is the secretary, and again, secretary is, is not uh, a man who um, made sure that the typewriter was in order and he got the addresses right for the things he sent out. He's the secretary of state, right? This is a function of, of uh, relations between states, and so he's the secretary of state. And then we get um, Benaiah. Right, Beniah. You can go over to First Chronicles eleven. I love this passage. First Chronicles eleven twenty two says a little bit about Beniah. It says this: Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, mighty indeed, struck down the two sons of Ariel of Moab. He also went down and killed a lion inside of a pit on a snowy day. <laughs> That's great. I mean, of all the things Scripture could record about a man, on a snowy day, he killed a lion. It's great. And then this, he killed an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall. Now in the Egyptian's hand was a spear like a weaver's beam, but he went down to him with a club and snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Right? These things Benai, the son of Jehoiada, did, and he had a name as well as the three mighty men. Behold, he was honored among the 30, but he did not attain to the three, and David appointed him over his guard. Right? So Benaiah is this, is, um, is this manly man, and um, he's in charge of the Cherethites and Pelethites. Who, who, who in the world are the Cherethites and Pelethites? Anybody know who they are? Well, if he's in charge of the king's guard, then we have to assume that the king's guard are the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And, uh, and so this is the secret service, right? This is the man who's in charge of those who have the immediate protection of the king. And so we have, um, this is the king's bodyguard, these Cherethites and Pelethites. So Benaiah is in charge of that. And then who are the, who's last here? Mentioned last in 2 Samuel 8. David's sons were chief ministers. Now, that doesn't mean they were ministers like ministers of the word. This more is um, confidants, not priests, not court chaplains, not spiritual advisors. Um, in 1 Chronicles eighteen seventeen, the parallel to this, it says that they were chiefs at the king's side. Um, and so these were the first at hand, the first surrounding the king, the king's confidants, the king's advisors. His sons are his advisors, his closest advisors. You have to keep that in mind as things go along. The king has his, his sons close to him, but his sons, he doesn't necessarily have their hearts. right? And so the, even the closest, closest advisors to the king will turn against him. But why would he have his sons as his closest advisors? Why would any king put his sons? Why so often do we see sons follow fathers to take over in businesses? Or, you know, so many places we see um, those things happen. Why? Why does that happen again and again? What do we presume of sons? 
and maybe shouldn't. We presume sons will be loyal, right? We presume sons will be loyal. They know their father, their father knows them, and we presume that they, there's, their hearts are turned toward one another. And yet so often, um, so often in situations like this where sons um, advise the father or sons take over the father, the sons end up not being able to carry the weight that their father carried. But here is David with, um, but, it's, but it's also, it's also um, maybe the better part of David's parenting where he's trying to train his sons to carry on after him, right? Where he's actually trying to, to mentor them and to show him what, what it takes to be the king, what pressures come about him, what, what burden he has on himself daily in this work. So... With all these victories, David's territory doubles. All of his territory doubles. Um, um, and, and you notice that the names that are listed here are in all four directions. The Philistines are to the east or west. Zobas to the north. Moabites are to the, to the east. The Edomites are to the south. And so in a sense, um, David has conquered the four corners of the earth and is, um, is a picture of the, the conquering kingdom of Christ. And um, these, this corresponds to the promise that was given to Abraham way back in Genesis 15, that, um, that the, the kingdom, would, the land would be given to him in, in all directions. And so right now, 2 Samuel 8 is the high point of David's reign. This is it, right here, the high point. The most ground is taken, there's the most order, and none of David's terrible sins, or not David's most notorious sin, he's sinned, and we've looked at that, but um, his terrible sin follows this point. And one of the commentators who was reflecting on this, if this is the high point, if everything's going smoothly, if order's being maintained, if everything's come together, you would expect that the king would, would worship the Lord and relax and enjoy the Lord and find himself pursuing God. And yet what we find is that once peace has come, David commits sin. And one commentary said, Christian leaders beware. Right? In defeat, one is tempted to despair. But in victory, one is tempted to become complacent. Right? Watchfulness is as important or more important in our successes than in our failures. Watchfulness. When things go well, watch yourself. Don't give yourself a pass. Don't be all like, oh, God's so good and things are so great and yada, 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 and just go off with the mouth and not prepare yourself to think, okay, along with with this blessing will come temptations. And I won't be ready for them because I'm floating in my joy over the blessings. Right? I mean, this is the same thing that God calls, God, God says to the Israelites. When they go in and occupy a land where they don't have to, they don't have to dig the wells and everything's prepared for them, then what are they going to do? They're going to forget God. 
you're going to forget him. Here's another application as we think about the sword of the state and we think about the kingdom of God. And I was really encouraged to read this in uh, a commentary. This is, uh, it's not a commentary, it's a book of sermons by, again, Dale Ralph Davis, a man who's, who's preached a lot in South Carolina at um, the big Presbyterian church in Columbia. But here's what he says, and this was really encouraging to me. David's kingdom is not a perfect, but a preliminary and principial form of Christ's kingdom. Right? So he's going to draw the contrast between David's kingdom and Christ's kingdom. The kingdom pattern, however, is the same. Conflict precedes conquest. Both Old and New Testaments testify that, on the whole, men and nations do not long, to receive, do, do not long receive but live to resist Christ's reign, and that he will establish his rule at the last, not by popular demand, but by armed might. Not by popular demand, but by armed might. And then he lists a bunch of, a bunch of verses. See, Psalm 2, Isaiah 11, Joel 3, Zechariah 14, 2 Thessalonians 1 and 2. And then he says this, the church tends to mark this virile biblical note and thereby emasculates, or tends to mask this virile biblical note and thereby emasculates the doctrine of the kingdom. Sometimes this bland sentimentality has become canonized in our hymns. For not with swords loud clashing nor roll of stirring drums, but deeds of love and mercy the heavenly kingdom comes. Right? We sing that hymn. Um, and so he goes on, he explains, there is a tad of truth in this, right? The kingdom of Christ comes by, um, by subduing hearts and regeneration and drawing people into the kingdom. He says, there's a tad of truth in this, but a great deal of distortion as if should people only be nice enough, the kingdom would arise, arrive. But surely the cross has taught us that no one defeats the dominion of darkness in a bloodless coup. Nor will history simply ooze into the kingdom of God. That kingdom will come at the last because Christ, David's seed, imposes it over all objection and opposition and conquers all his and our enemies. Right? We can't lose sight of the fact that Jesus will make all the nations bow before him. And if you think that that's, if you think that, oh, Jesus isn't going to make a line of people like David did and two thirds here and one third there, well, what about the sheep and the goats? Jesus very well will make a line of all the nations and all the peoples. And he, will, and he will conquer the nations. He returns with a sword that comes from his mouth for the striking of the nations. Right? And so, so let's not get overly critical of David doing the work of a king, of bearing the sword of the state, of doing what God had called him to do, of, of doing what God says he's doing along with him. And then... And then forget that 
The kingdom of God is going to come with force, with violence through Jesus Christ at the end of the days. Right? It's judgment that comes. Right? It's not this, this oozing of everything into a peaceful um, a kingdom that sort of just suddenly we're going to realize, well, wow, this is the kingdom of God around us. This is, how'd that happen? No. No, there's going to be, there's going to be judgment. And it will be God who is establishing His justice and His righteousness upon all of the nations. And then think of the peace that reigns in that kingdom. When all the, the, the sorcerers and all the liars and all the, the evil ones are outside the gate and can't enter in to molest His children. And, and we'll be at peace eternally. Right, so let's, let's remember that. Let's not get all messed up in our heads and our categories about, about um, you know, um, let's not go all Thomas Jefferson and, and get, um, get confused about these terrible parts of Scripture and judge David for his, his um, bloodthirst in these cases. Not in this case was he bloodthirsty. He was later. But not in this case. He was just being the king, and he was just doing the work of the kingdom. Right? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this reminder of Christ's reign as king. We thank you that those who will not kiss the Son, will kindle His wrath and He will happily destroy them. Father, and He will do that for the sake of His kingdom, for the sake of His reign, for the sake of His righteousness, His justice, His goodness, His truth. And Father, Your children, those called to You before the foundation of the world, will be the recipients of your, your kindness and the peace that reigns eternally because of the sword that Jesus brings to judge the nations. Father, we thank you. We thank you for peace that is not a false peace, but a f- peace that comes through victory. Victory by the Son of God is our King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.